Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering, one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place at which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it, laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so that both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the, t on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said on this day, or to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Didlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gehum, Tehash, and Mekah. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach this sacred text, we reach one of the most poignant passages in all of the Old Testament. Lord, as we see Abraham, the man of faith, brought to a point where no human being on his own could stand. Lord, we praise you that you have not left Abraham alone. But Lord, you are faithful to him. Lord, we thank you for the things that, that we learn about Abraham's faith in this passage. But Lord, far more importantly, we thank you for the things that we learn about your faithfulness in this passage. Lord, we pray that as we consider the sacrifice that Abraham was commanded to make of his only son. Lord, we pray that in these things we will see how they point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would see your faithfulness not just to Abraham, but to us. For we ask this in the name of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Five years ago, just after Liam was born, I vividly remember sitting in the, the parents' room in the NICU, spending some time with the Lord in, in prayer and, and in the Word, grappling with, with grief and grappling with fear over my son's physical struggles. And we had no idea how much worse it would get before it started to get better, before he began to improve. Liam was newly born, my firstborn son. I'd only just met him, but I loved him so deeply. As I sat there in that quiet room with, with tears in my eyes, I, I, I thought about how in a heartbeat I would take Liam's place, how I would take his suffering for him. But of course I couldn't do that. Liam had to go through it himself. And of course, we did what we could, and, and the amazing NICU team did what they could to help him, but ultimately it was the Lord who helped him. No matter what or how quickly I would have taken his surgeries and his, his infections and his, his difficulties with, with eating and, and breathing, no matter how quickly I would have swapped places with him, Liam had to bear those burdens himself. Jane and I both felt excruciating pain for Liam as we watched our precious son suffer. This morning, as we get to Genesis 22, God commands Abraham to do the unthinkable. God commands him to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. In this chapter, we reach the climax of Abraham's spiritual journey. As Kenneth Matthews tells us, this is Abraham's final test of faith, the closing bookend to his discovery of God's sufficiency to achieve the promises made at Haran. At Haran, God had called Abraham to leave his past for the promised land. And now God is calling Abraham to surrender 
his future promises. With this test, not only did God call Abraham to sacrifice his precious promised son, but he also told Abraham to sacrifice the promises themselves. For Isaac's survival is necessary for Abraham to have a future progeny. Now, we've seen Abraham repeatedly tested in this Toledot, and, and Abraham has not always come through with, with flying colors. And so as we, we begin this passage, we're, we're wondering, well, what is Abraham going to do this time? Is Abraham going to have faith? Is he going to believe and obey God, or is his faith going to waver? As you sit here this morning, you say that you believe in the Lord. You say that you obey His Word, or at least strive to obey His Word. How far will your obedience go? Are you willing to sacrifice it all out of obedience to Him? In Genesis 24, or Genesis 22, rather, we, we find three scenes. In verses 1 to 8, we see God's command. In verses 9 to 14, we see God's provision. And in verses 15 to 24, we see God's promise. In this passage, we see someone put to, to a severe test. Will the subject pass? So in verses 8, 1 to 8 rather, God's command. Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, although Abraham is, is not spared the pain of this test, Abraham doesn't know what's going to happen. We are given insider information. We're told that Abraham is being tested. God tests Abraham. God puts his people to the test. But we as his people must never presume to test him. So God puts his people to the test, but, but we're reminded in, in James 1.13, let, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So God does not tempt his children, but he does, however, test his children. Now, the King James translation here does say that God did tempt Abraham, but, but, but again, this is, this is not the best translation. The better word is, is test. D.A. Carson points out that the verb that's translated tempt and the associated noun, it rarely, if ever, before the New Testament mean temptation in the sense of enticement to sin, but rather testing. God, um, D.A. Carson says, God tests his people to reveal their obedience to cultivate holy fear of, of the Lord, to reveal their faithfulness, and to bless them. Actually, I should believe that quote is from C.F.D. Mool, but, but, but the point is this. If, if, you, if you remember our, our series on the, on the model prayer, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're, we're praying that the, that the test itself would not become an occasion for sin. So God tested Abraham in Genesis 22, not to present him with an occasion to sin, but to prove him, to reveal what is genuine in Abraham's faith, as well as to refine him like gold is refined in the fire. 
So the object of the test is Abraham's proper response, which leads to, to greater obedience and, and to greater trust. And Derek Kidner helpfully reminds us that the test, instead of breaking him, brings him to the summit of his lifelong walk with God. So this greatest test that Abraham faces will also become the, the greatest opportunity for his growth, for his sanctification in Christ Jesus. This is no small test. This isn't a pop quiz. This is the final exam on which Abraham's future hangs. God says to him, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So with building tension, each description of the sacrifice gets closer and closer to Abraham's heart. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Slaughter your son and burn him on the altar as a sacrifice to me. It would have been inconceivable and contrary to what Abraham knew of God's character and contrary to God's promises that he had given specifically to Abraham. Notice here that, that Isaac is referred to as Abraham's only son. Remember Ishmael? How is it that, that he could be referring to Isaac as, as his only son when, he, when, when Isaac has a brother, Ishmael? Well, Abraham has already, in a sense, sacrificed this other son. He's already placed Ishmael on the altar in obedience to the Lord. He had sent Ishmael out into the wilderness, likely to die unless the Lord fulfilled the promises that he had made concerning the boy. And the same is true here. Unless the Lord intervenes, Isaac will die. And as difficult as the thought of sacrificing your own son would be, the stakes were far higher for Abraham. Because not only did God test Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac, the miraculous gift, but, but also with that to sacrifice the promise of descendants, the promise of a nation with him as their father. I wonder if, if you have recently faced a test. Someone treats you sinfully or, or, or reacts to you sinfully. You face financial challenges. You find a significant amount of money. You, you suffer ill health. Your boss is pressuring you to, to cut corners. Well, all of these things can be tests that we face in our lives, these and many more. How you respond depends 
to a large extent on on your thoughts and, and whether your attitude towards the situation that you're facing is biblical. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in that time of testing, you test the situation according to the Word of God and let the Word of God guide your response. How does Abraham respond? Same way he responded when God had told him to send Ishmael out into the wilderness. And in 21.14, he responds with, with no argument, with no question, no negotiating. He rose early in the morning and proceeded to do what he had been commanded to do. He saddled his donkey and he took his two young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had commanded him. And then on the third day, a time frame that is often repeated in Scripture in, in conjunction with sacrifices, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, Moriah. Now, Abraham would have had plenty of time to think what, about what he's being told to do on the 80-kilometer journey from Beersheba to Moriah but his heart was resolutely set on obedience to the Lord, no matter what the cost. You too must set your heart on obedience to the Lord, no matter what the cost. Moriah means chosen by God, and it's connected with Jerusalem. In 2, Corinthians, in 2 Chronicles 3.1, it is identified as the place where the angel of the Lord appeared after striking the city with the plague because of, Abraham, of David's sinful census. David saw the angel of the Lord above the city with, with his sword unsheathed, sword in hand. And on the threshing floor, there on this very site, sacrificed an oxen that caused the, the angel of the Lord to sheath his sword and to hold back the destruction of the city. Do you see what's happening here? This site, Moriah, was the very site where Solomon built the temple. This is the Temple Mount. It will become the Temple Mount as the group arrives at the place, only Abraham knows his full mission, but only the Lord knows what will happen. At last, Abraham speaks, telling his servants in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now these are words of faith. They're words of faith, but, but far more so than they appear in English. Not only is Abraham expressing faithful obedience, to, but his faith here reaches an even greater level. The, the verbs in his instructions to his servants are all plural. They're all plural. I and the boy will go over there. We will worship and we will come again to you. We will come again to you. 
stop and consider what Abraham is saying here. He's saying that he and Isaac are going to go over and worship Abraham worshiping by offering and sacrificing Isaac, Isaac worshiping by being the sacrifice, then both Abraham and Isaac will come back. Abraham was demonstrating faith in God's promise from, from Genesis 21, 12. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham understood that even if he killed Isaac, that God had promised an offspring through Isaac. So Isaac couldn't remain dead. This is the first hint of resurrection in the Bible. Donald Gray Barnhouse explains that Abraham truly believed that God intended that Isaac would die, but he just as truly believed that God would raise him from the dead and that they would return. Not convinced? Please turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through, your, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And we're going to come back to Hebrews eleven nineteen in a few moments. But it's clear here that Abraham knew that God had promised a future progeny through Isaac and that God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac. And he couldn't reconcile both in his mind, but he knew that God was faithful. Have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't understand what God was doing? Maybe you're in, in such a situation right now. But in one sense, it really doesn't matter whether we understand what God is doing. Because God knows what God is doing. I quoted Spurgeon a few weeks ago. It's, it's, it's fitting to, to give this quote again. That, that God is too good to be unkind. And he's too wise to be, be mistaken. And we cannot, when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And friends, of course... God is, is not going to command you to literally sacrifice your children. But he does command you to leave them, to leave everything on the altar of sacrifice. We are required to lay down our most precious treasures, even our most precious gifts from the Lord, to the Lord on the altar. Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In the last chapter, Abraham had placed bread and water on Hagar's shoulders as he sent his son into the wilderness. This time he places wood on Isaac's shoulders. 
And this loading of wood on Isaac's shoulders calls to mind our Savior's burden as he approached Calvary, bearing his cross. Abraham took the fire and the knife together. The offerer and the offering went together and ascended Mount Moriah. And now for the first time, Isaac speaks. He says to his, to his father, my father. And Abraham replies as he had earlier to the Lord, here I am, my son. And Isaac asks, and it's an innocent question, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He knew by the wood and the knife and the fire that there was going to be a sacrifice, but he did not yet know of what or of whom. Abraham's reply reveals yet more faith as tension mounts. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. In every other sacrifice, it is the offerer who provides the animal. But here, however, Abraham shows that God's command and God's promise made the offering God's responsibility. Again, we're told that, that Abraham and Isaac went together. We're left to imagine what would have been going through both of their minds as the pivotal moment approached. Now in verses 9 to 14, we'll see God's provision. Now the father and the son arrive at the appointed place, this sacred space, this, this mountain of the Lord where Abraham was to go and sacrifice his son, this place that would become the temple mount. Now the description of the events slows right down with sharp detail. Have you ever been in extreme danger, maybe a, a serious car accident or, or something of that nature? It's, it's like time slows down to a, a funeral pace. Every detail comes into focus. And the same happens here. It's as though the, the camera goes into slow motion as Abraham prepares to kill his son. Abraham gathers the stones and, and piles them together to make an altar. Three times in, in Genesis, we, we've seen that Abraham built an altar, each time following a divine promise. But this time, Abraham's altar looks like it could bring the end of those promises. He removes the wood from Isaac's shoulders and carefully piles it on the altar. He securely fastens Isaac. Well, now it would have begun to dawn on Isaac that he would be the sacrifice. He was a youth, his, his father an old man. He was, was likely stronger or, or at least faster than his father. But, but, but we don't see any struggle or any attempt to flee. It seems that he meekly resigned himself to his destiny, whatever the outcome. So Abraham places his son Isaac on top of the altar and he takes the knife and he raises it to slaughter his son. As much as he had the heifer and the goat and the ram and the turtle dove and the pigeon in Genesis 15. Just stop and reflect on this for a moment. This, this is one of the most poignant moments in the entire Old Testament. Here Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, many a father there has been was thought that, his child, that when he lost his child, he lost the dearest of all there was in the world to him. 
Yet assuredly, no child ever was in that sense a pledge of God as Isaac was to Abraham. Many a father there has been who lost his child, but then it was God, the unchangeable and inscrutable will of the Almighty and his hand which took it. Not thus with Abraham, for him was reserved a more severe trial. And Isaac's fate was put into Abraham's hand together with the knife. And there he stood, the old man, with only his hope. And he did not doubt, nor look anxiously to the left or right, nor challenge heaven with his prayers. He knew that it was God the Almighty who had now put him to the test. He knew that this was the greatest sacrifice that could be demanded of him. But he knew also that there was no sacrifice too great which God demanded as he drew forth this knife. What could bring Abraham to this point? What could enable Abraham to go this far, to obey this radically? We've already spoken of his faith, but there was something else involved here. Something that drove Abraham to obedience. Abraham feared the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is something that's largely foreign in our culture, so let me briefly define it for you. The fear of the Lord is, on the one hand, drawing near to God out of love and worship. However, it is also a trembling in his holy presence. Abraham feared the Lord. He feared the Lord so that obedience to his command trumped filial loyalty. He feared the Lord more than he loved his son. Abraham feared the Lord so that obedience to his command trumped hope in the fulfilled promises. But here's the rub. Here's the relationship between the fear of God and faith in God. Abraham also trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord enough to know that he could commit his beloved son into the Lord's hands. He trusted the Lord enough to know that the Lord's promises were secure. Do you fear the Lord more than you love your kids? Do you trust the Lord enough to commit them to His care? What would you do if God commanded you to sacrifice your child? Friends, God is calling you to sacrifice your, your child, not to the extent that Abraham was. Would you sin to protect your child? I know someone who said he would. That did not go well. And you might not admit to it, but you will be faced with this same decision. You will face decisions and situations where you have the choice of putting God first or putting your children first. If your child gets into an altercation with another person, are you going to show partiality in taking their side? When your child sins, you might be tempted to control them through your anger. We might be tempted to ignore it rather than lovingly confronting them. When your child wants something that you know is detrimental to them, will you give it to them out of deference to them instead of deference to the Lord? You might be tempted to push your children into the kingdom or blindly believe that they're already there. Parents face choices like this every single day. Abraham is still there. Knife raised in the air. 
ready to thrust it into his son's heart. When the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, the repetition is emphatic. For the, for, for the third time in this passage, Abraham responds with the words, here I am. The Lord commands in verse 12, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And in verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God did provide the lamb, but in a way far beyond what Abraham could have imagined. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And so here we see Abraham giving the Lord another one of his titles, referring to the Lord by one of his other titles, Yahweh Hira. This is another sense of, of, the, of the word that is, is provided here. It also means to see. Abraham is, is saying that, that the Lord sees the needs of his people. He answers their prayers and provides for their needs. Trust that the Lord will see and provide enables true worshipers to leave what is most precious to them on the altar. Now, now we can identify initially, can't we, with, with Abraham being commanded to sacrifice his son. But, but who would Israel have identified with the most as they read this passage? They would have identified most closely with Isaac. So try to think about this, the, the perspective from the, the people who first heard this story. If Isaac died and stayed dead, Israel never would have existed. So Israel would have identified with Isaac. Now many people, when they, they read this, this passage, they, they think that, that Isaac is a type of Christ, that, that Isaac represents Christ. But Isaac does not represent Christ in this passage. The ram represents Christ in this passage. This is really important. Listen to uh, Gerhard van Groningen. It is assumed by many Christians that Isaac, the only beloved son, placed on the altar by his father Abraham as a sacrifice to God, is a clear and definite type of Christ, who, as the heavenly father's only beloved son, was sent by his father to die on the cross. But Isaac was not sacrificed. He was not put to death. He was not burned as an incense offering to God, and he, he made neither expiation nor propitiation for others. It was the ram provided at a suitable moment that became the substitutionary sacrifice on the altar, substituting, in fact, for Isaac. Thus, the ram slain served as a symbol and was a type of Christ who died in the place of others. Do you understand this? 
Isaac wasn't killed, he was spared. But the ram was killed. The ram was the substitute. It's the ram that points to Christ. The ram died so that Isaac and Israel would live. God was not willing that that Abraham would sacrifice his son, his only son. But God did not withhold his son, his only son. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Out of love for his elect, as we heard earlier in Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. God plunged the knife of his holy wrath into the heart of his only and holy son. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Abraham passed the test. Now of course for the omniscient God the result was never in doubt. This, when it says that now I know it's God is being presented here anthropomorphically that he's, he's putting in, in terms of, that we'll understand that the test didn't come from God's need to know but from Abraham's need to know. It's not Abraham was ultimately the one being put on, test, on the test here. God is also being tested. Kenneth Matthews illuminates the reality that the test has a double meaning for the outcome of the matter reveals as much about God as it does about Abraham. Abraham was willing to follow the Lord's command to the bitter end. But the Lord was not willing to allow Abraham to cause harm to the boy, to Abraham's son, to Abraham's only son, his beloved son, Now, there is no doubt that radical obedience is taught in this passage, but the fact that God will provide is the central theme of this passage. It is God who passes the test perfectly. His election, his preservation, his promise-keeping are all on display. And so finally, in verses 15 to 24, we see God's promise. Verses 15 to 18, the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Although the Lord takes many oaths in Genesis, this is the only time in Genesis that he is said to swear by himself. Please turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter uh, 6, verse 13. Hebrews 6, 13. God could swear by no one greater than himself. And so Abraham obtained the promise. 
Now, I'm not going to go into the, the ethics of this now, but people swear by, by all kinds of things greater than themselves. They, they swear by their mother's grave, by their children, by the Bible, but God can swear by nothing greater than himself, so he swears by himself. So that, Hebrews 6.18, by two unchangeable things, which is, is impossible for God to lie, to we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. God keeps his promises. That is what Abraham was assured of. Go now flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, the end of verse 19. Read the whole verse. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did raise him back. It's a sense in which Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead. This is because God is faithful to his promises. And Abraham had learned that God is faithful to his promises because he had seen God be faithful to his promises again and again and again in his life. You have seen the faithfulness of God to his promises in your life again and again and again and again. And you have not only the promises that he has fulfilled to you, but you have all the promises of the Bible that you see to God's people, to God's church throughout history, that, that you have seen God's faithfulness again and again and again and again. God is faithful. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. The oath guaranteed that God's divine blessing would come for future generations through Abraham's lineage. And God repeats essentially the same blessing that he had given to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and, and then give it to him again and again. But, but here he includes the possession of the, great, of the gates of their enemies. He's saying that, that your offspring will possess Canaan, the promised land. God says this promise is assured because Abraham did not hold back his son. And that's true. If Abraham had disobeyed, the promise would be lost. And even though obedience to this command seems like it will result in failure, instead it brings victory. Abraham's willingness to, to sacrifice his son out of obedience to the Lord leads to the fulfillment of the promise. Yet another example of the, ways that, that, of the way that God's ways are the opposite of man's ways. You become rich by giving away what you have. You, you become great by becoming a servant to all. You receive life by dying. And Abraham gained a posterity by sacrificing it. Therefore, from one man as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Hebrews 11:12. Abraham's faithfulness brought about the fulfillment of God's promises. But it is ultimately God's faithfulness that brought about the fulfillment of God's promises. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But we are saved for obedience for the sake of his name, Hebrews 1.5. And through this test, Abraham visibly expressed his faith and secured for himself the promises that had been assured all along. And now that the potential faith is realized, we see now here that what God is going to do in the future 
And man, this is going to be helpful for you as, as you think about your homework from, from James 2, 21 to 23. But God's faithfulness to Abraham demonstrated in, God's, uh, God, in Abraham's faithfulness to God. As we shift to the future, in the verses uh, 20 to 24, we have a brief genealogy. So the, the question of Abraham's faithfulness has been answered. The question of the heir has been answered. And so this chapter now begins to transition towards the future, towards the Toledots of, of Isaac and Jacob. Abraham is told by his brother Nahor, is told that his brother Nahor has had many offspring. So God is also blessing the, the growing house of, of Nahor. And so we're given a, a segmented or a branched genealogy with, with several names listed in one generation and only one name listed in the next generation. And most of these names are, are unknown in Scripture other than in this passage. But two names stand out, Bethuel and Rebekah. Rebekah is the only name given in the second generation. This answers a question that would have been on Abraham's mind, that of a, of a wife for Isaac. So we're seeing once again that, that God is faithful, that God promises to provide. So in this passage, we, we, we see the call to total obedience to the Lord, no matter what the cost. God does not want your second best. He wants what is most precious to you. He wants what is most precious to you because he wants himself to be most precious to you. He wants you. The first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before God. What is most precious to you? Do you walk in obedience to God? Of course, none of us obeys perfectly. None of us have ever obeyed perfectly. We need a redeemer. We need a savior. We need a substitute. God redeemed Isaac by the ram in the thicket. In Egypt, God will redeem Israel by the Passover lamb. Through the sacrificial system, Israel will be redeemed from her sins, but none of those sacrifices were sufficient. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God did not hold, withhold what was most precious to him for you because you are precious to him. Earlier I spoke about how I would have, have, have gladly, in a, in a heartbeat, traded places with my son to, to, to bear his pain. But God crushed his son for my sins and for yours. God did not spare his son. But God gave his son as a sacrifice, as a substitute. In that moment, I understood the gospel just a little bit better. And pray that as you, as you consider Abraham, as you consider the obedience that Abraham was called to, but especially the sacrifice that God made for Abraham, that you will understand the gospel just a little bit better. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we are standing on holy ground. As we consider the cross of Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. Lord, you call us to complete and total obedience, yet, Lord, we confess that we fall woefully short of this command. Lord, we who are your people strive in the strength that you provide to obey. And Lord, we know that, that gradually through the work of your Holy Spirit, we will brought, be brought increasingly into conformity with your word and that we'll be made more like your son. But Lord, all of that leaves us still with a need for a perfect substitute. The one who obeyed in our place the one who died the death that we deserve to die. Lord, I pray that you would cause us here who have been born again through the work of your Spirit to reflect and to remember and to, to grow in understanding of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that, that those who, who are here who do not know you, those who are still here as your enemies, would consider your holiness And would consider their, their guilt and their, their, their condemnation at your holy and sovereign hand. Well, Lord, we pray that you would help them to see Christ. And you would enable them, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to flee the wrath to come by turning from their sins and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. The only name given among men by which we may be saved. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.